morning, church. Hope all the people out there want to come in and worship with us today. How are we all doing? Good. We're all excited to be here, I'm sure. So to start off our service here, I just want to read straight from the word. And we're going to be referencing the scripture, both in communion and later in the message. It comes from Psalms 24. And it starts in verse 7. It says, lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. And who is this king of glory? This Lord who is strong and mighty, who is mighty of battle, in battle. Who is this king of glory? So lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. For the king of glory will come in. Who is he? He's the Lord of armies. He's the King of glory. He is Jesus, our Savior. And at first, I was confused at this passage because what is this gate? Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. And what David is saying here, he's saying that we are the gates. We are these doors, and we need to open ourselves up for him, for Jesus to come into our life, for everything belongs to him think of scriptures like Revelation 3 verse 20 and remember we are the gates we are these doors and Jesus is saying this he says I Jesus look at me see I am standing at your door and I am knocking and if anyone hears my voice and opens up their door I will come in who believes that that he will come in when we open ourselves up when we open our doors so just as the passage says Rise up, lift up ourselves, and let's come and open ourselves up to worship him today. So will you rise up with me, and let's worship.
says in Romans 5 that through our sufferings, he can be praised, so we rejoice in the suffering. Rains came, winds blew, but my house was built on that same psalm, Psalm 24. We'll start at the beginning. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants all belong to the Lord. And David here in this psalm, in the very beginning, puts a very distinct description of this word everything. And he emphasizes it because he wants us to know that everything, whether it's wealth, whether it's life, whether it's worship, it all belongs to the world, to the Lord. And he makes sure to keep this word separate from the world. It's the inhabitants. The inhabitants belong to the Lord as well. And he does that to make sure that when you read that, you know that you who lives in this world in which belongs to the Lord, you belong to him. Remember, you are the gate, and we are to open ourselves up so that we can receive and be with the Lord. For he laid his foundations on the seas, 
and he established it on the rivers. And this is just a fancy way to say you belong to the Lord because he created you. Because you were crafted before time even began to go back to him, to be belonged by him so that you can be free and live in a heavenly place of rejoicing and worship to him. But who is worthy among us? It says in the next verse, who is worthy to ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who is worthy to stand in the holy place? Who is worthy? Who has a clean hand and a pure heart? Who is not appealed to what is false? Who is not sworn deceitfully? Who? Church, I'll be honest, I sinned multiple times this week. I don't have a clean heart. I don't have a pure heart. So how am I to belong to the Lord? I think of Isaiah 6 when God gives Isaiah revelation and he's in the throne room of God. And Isaiah just screams out to the Lord as he's in his presence. And he says, God, who am I, a man of unclean lips, who lives among a people of unclean lips, to be in your presence right now? In church, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he gave us this thing called the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence among us. And we are literally in that presence right now. So who are we to be worthy enough to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit right now? It says those who have clean lips, who has pure hearts. But how are we to have that even though we sin every single day? I think of Romans 5. Church, this is gospel. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. And this hope will not disappoint us for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through his Holy Spirit who is given to us. Church, you are worthy to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit saved your life. The Holy Spirit has given you grace so that you can be pure, so that you can enter into the gates of heaven. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. The next verse, we talked about verse 20, that Jesus is waiting. He's knocking at the door. Verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will give him the right to sit with me at my throne. Church, none of us are worthy to be in the presence of God, but through Jesus and our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are worthy to sit with him at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that crazy? Church, that is gospel. And this time of communion we take together is an opportunity for us to reflect and rejoice in the fact that he gave his life for us, that he came knocking at our door, that we as gates, broken gates, are able to open up and receive him for he is knocking and waiting for you. So church, take this opportunity, this time, to look at the bread, the cracker, and the juice, and remember that Jesus sacrificed himself so that you have an opportunity to sit 
at the throne of our God, to sit here in his presence and to be pure. For he has redeemed and reconciled you all. May we take communion. Father, we know that this world and all the inhabitants in it belong to you. Lord, as we come into this time where we thank you for what you did for us on the cross, Lord, may we know that we belong to you, that we are yours, and that everything, our life, all belongs to you. So God, as we come to this next song where we just proclaim pure praise to you, Lord, I pray that our congregation, our church would stand firm in the fact that you have redeemed us. That we know that we belong to you and our praise and worship belongs to you. And Lord, with a pure heart, we want to give up our worship to you. Help us to give it all back to you. So Lord, we are your gates. We open ourselves up and we just want to worship you. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand with me as we proclaim God's grace, his mercy, his love, that everything belongs to him, for he is great and mighty and worthy to be praised.
besides you gates. Then the King of glory will come in. Let's outpour our hearts of praise. Open our gates to praise Him. us to be in your presence this morning, to come before you and worship you. Lord, thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for calling us to be as sons and daughters to you, the God, the most high, who sits on the throne. Lord, I pray as we have prepared our hearts for the message that you're going to bring through Jeff that we'd be able to receive and hear with a faith. A faith that when we do hear from you and your word, that we will go and be outpours of what you have given us. So God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for your son. It's in his name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. at the ice festival. Anybody go to the ice festival? All right. How many volunteered? Raise your hand if you were there. Thank you so much. 
uh, we've got about that much more chapstick left. We passed out chapstick, over 3,000 of them with our church location and information on it. Passed out over 600 bags of dog biscuits, believe it or not. That's over 1,000 dog biscuits uh, to people. It's basically an ice festival dog show, if you've ever been there. It is crazy, but thank you to all those who are there. This afternoon, we're going to cut the shift short at 2 o'clock because the ice is now, yeah, 50 degrees doesn't do good for ice. Plus, we don't have any more chapstick left, so thank you for doing that. I've got uh, next week, I want to give you a highlight before we get there. We will celebrate our one-year anniversary in this building. Uh, Awesome. We're going to have cake in the lobby, balloons, and it will be a day where you will get an invitation to get involved and to jump in in all of our areas of ministry here at Northside Medina. So I am thrilled about it. Uh, You got a chance today to go back to a little room and give one word, one word of what this place, church, means to you. Uh, And you will be on the screen next week. Isn't that cool? Uh, So go back there, think about your one word, and Brad's back in the back room uh, after the service. I got great news about today. We get to talk about money. How about that? You're thinking when you're driving here today, I'm so thankful I'm going to bring, I get to bring my neighbor today. I've got a guest with me today. Man, I hope they talk about money. (laughs) Well, you got your wish. We don't talk about it often, uh, but it's essential that we do. Now, I don't know why so many have a hard time with it. In fact, if you are fighting the, the urge to squirm a little bit right now, I'm going to give you a chance to go ahead and squirm. Get it out of your system, uh, that defensive mechanism that sometimes raises up when even the topic is mentioned. I don't know what it is about the subject that makes us so uncomfortable when we talk about money in church. Because we talk about it everywhere else. We read books on it, listen to podcasts on it. How many in your business world, at your workplace, do you guys ever talk about money? Oh, yeah, all the time. And so why is it that we're so uncomfortable with it when we come to church? Well, I think the reason is a fundamental one. It's a basic misunderstanding of the Christian faith. I want you to imagine your life as a dresser a dresser with a lot of drawers in it. In that dresser, there's a relationship drawer, there's a work drawer, there's a fun drawer, there's a money drawer, there's a faith drawer. Think about your life represented by that chest of drawers. We're okay coming to church and the pastor opens up the relationship drawer. Go ahead, dig and rummage through there a little bit if you want to. We're even okay if the pastor digs up the work drawer. Sure, talk about work. Rumble around in there. But when it gets to the money drawer, the pastor's fingers get slammed, right? 
anywhere, any drawer, but that drawer. That's a totally different category and area of my life. And here's what we got to understand. The moment we start categorizing our faith in those sections, it's no longer the Christian faith. Because at the foundation and the core of the Christian faith is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we as believers, when we say Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, we're saying Jesus is the dresser. Follow me? On all these different drawers and areas, Jesus is the dresser. In other words, there's not a drawer for my faith. My faith is the dresser. And when my faith becomes my life, then all of a sudden we have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He truly is our savior and everything in my life is under his authority, no matter what area it is. And if you study through the gospels, you'll find what Jesus loved. He loved opening up the drawer of money. He loved it and he was always doing it. In 16 of his 38 parables, he opened up the drawer of money. He dealt with money. If you trace through the New Testament and you compare the money verses to the prayer verses, there are five times as many verses on money as there are about prayer. Why? Why? Why is there so much focus from Jesus on money in the Bible? Well, it's because money tells the story of our hearts. Money tells the story of our hearts. Money is what's often portrayed as God's chief competitor. It's what can take our hearts away from him. How many of you heard the expression, follow the money? You heard that? Follow the money. You follow the money trail, you'll find the answer to what you're looking for. Money literally tells the story of who and what we love most in our life. So if I want to know who you love, if I want to know what's most important to you in your life, all I got to do is follow the money. Follow the money. That's how I will know what you love the most. By how you spend your money, it will tell me the story of your heart. Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 6, 21. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be what? Also. Where your money goes, there goes your heart. And so if I want to know, again, what you love and what's most important to you, all I got to do is get a couple months of your expenditures. It won't take me very long to say, okay, this is what you love most. This is what you love least. All I have to do is, is look at how you or you look at how I handle money. It will tell us the story of our hearts and truly who is the Lord of our life. On down in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. 
And so money, again, consistently is portrayed by, as God's chief competition. I want to give you a few clues that might help you kind of evaluate where you are this morning, that your love, your money may be competing with your love for God. Here's clue number one. You think your money belongs to you. You think your money is your money. And we need to start and address a basic theology, and that is something I think we don't think about very much is that everything belongs to God, everything. If we begin to understand that everything belongs to God, then the subject of money becomes a whole lot more clear. But if I think my money is my money, then it starts to compete with God. David wrote in Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So it begins with the issue of ownership. Do you, do I think that my money is actually my money or do you think that your money is actually your money or do you fully understand everything belongs to God? One of the ways a person is, can get confused on this is when we don't want anybody to tell us how to spend our money, we don't want anyone else to handle our money because it's whose? It's mine. Don't you touch it. Don't touch my money, right? But if you have a job, how many of you have a job? How many of you deal with the budget at your job, some area of the budget, all right? If you are working with a budget at your job, it's not your money. You have a budget. You have a guideline that you have to work under. And so you know you're going to be held accountable for the receipts and for, I hate receipts, all right? That's the worst time of the month for me when I got to pull out the receipt thing and start filling out. I hate it. But I know I've got to give accountability for how I've spent for me which is the church's money, where I work, because it's not what? It's not my money. It's not my money. If we would begin to think about our relationship with God the same way that we are to give account because it's not my money, it's God's money, there'd be a huge difference. God says, everything belongs to me everything. And so that means you and I should have an attitude that says, okay, God, if everything belongs to you, how do you want me to handle it? How do you want me to handle it? If someone came up to me and they said, hey, Jeff, here's $500. You can, I just want you to give it out to people in the church who are in need people who are up against some hard times, just give that out if you would. Give it away. I wouldn't have a hard time doing that. Why? Because it's not what? It's not my money. <laughs> All right? It's a whole lot easier to give Henry's money away than my money. Right? It allows us to be more generous when we have the right theology of whose money it actually is. Clue number two, that my money is competing with God, is giving is what you do with the leftovers. 
Giving is what you do with the leftovers. It's not that we're not giving. It's just that we're giving what we have left over. And so there's like 20 bucks in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse, and you're here on a Sunday, you think, oh, I got this left over, I'll give that. That's another warning that money is more important than God. Jesus teaches us this about giving. It all goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, where Abel gave God his first and best of the flocks. Cain collected all that was left over in the field and then gave it to God. Even before the law was established, God put a principle in place to his people, to you and me, and that principle was called a tithe. How many of you have ever heard of that? Raise your hand higher. All right, all of us. That's 10% of our income, which is God's money, we're to give back to him. And if everything belongs to God, it seems pretty reasonable, seems pretty fair. Let me take you a little bit further. Let's say you've got a wealthy uncle and an investment comes up and he signs that investment over to you. And that investment is that you will receive from your uncle $10,000 a month. That's $120,000 a year. That's a lot of money. $10,000 a month. But your uncle says, okay, I'm going to give you this $10,000 a month. All I ask is that you give me 1000 of it back so I can use it for other purposes. That's all I ask. How many would sign up for that? Yeah, well, of course, right? That's crazy. You're going to give me $10,000, and all I got to do is give you $1,000 back? Easy to do because it's all his in the first place. It, was, it all belongs to your uncle. He's just blessing you with a portion of it and asking you to give 10% back. And if we take that and compare it to the way God has blessed us, God's saying, here, I give you everything. All I'm asking is for a little bit back to use to build my kingdom and bring glory to me. Malachi talks about bringing the whole tithe, not the leftovers. And even speaks, if we don't, we're robbing God. One more clue that money might be competing with your love for God is you think this message is stupid. <laughs> you know, you're going to get in the car and say, oh man, that was so crazy. That was silly. Why do we even go there? I don't know how many of you are feeling that way. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> All right? It's not the message to do that. But that might be an implication that money and stuff are getting in the way of your love for God. You know what I've discovered? I don't know if you're like this, but I've sat where you all are many, many times and lis listened to messages and I found that the more defensive I become, the more I needed to hear what God said. I know it's tough to hear 
things sometimes that we get defensive about. But there's a good chance, no matter what area it is, that it's being directed towards an area that we need to pray about and we need to ask God's Holy Spirit to move in that area in our life to make us more like Jesus. Where we say, okay, God, <clears throat> show me what you want. Teach me. Teach me. I think we would be wise in a lot of areas in our life to take the words of Jesus and become like little children. I think there are a lot of areas in our life that we can learn a lot from our kids. And I really believe this is one of those. Years ago, years ago, and I can recall messages and I can recall things that have happened in messages and audience reaction over the years. Uh, someone brought up to me this morning uh, they came up and they said, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but six years ago you preached a message and this is the anniversary date of losing my, I'm going to say my good friend that committed suicide and her nickname was Heather Feather. And you were preaching that day, and I opened up, and I got to the outline, and you had given us all feathers. And you walked up the aisle, and as you do, you're greeting everybody, and you saw that I was sitting there sobbing and asked me what was going on, and I shared with you what was happening. And when they shared that story with me, and they showed me a picture and the feather attached to it this morning, that same feather, I got chills. So I can recall things that have happened, especially when little things perk my memory. But it was years ago I was preaching and um, I was talking about being kind and I, w I asked for responses and the answer was be kind. You know, as I always ask questions to get you guys to stay awake, all right? I asked a question, and this little boy is five years old, sitting down towards the front. He shouted out, be kind. And the whole crowd erupted in applause. And then later, that afternoon, I received an email from his mom. And I still had this in my files. It says this, Pastor Jeff, after worship today, I thought you'd enjoy knowing that Colton received dollars from all the people after his response about being kind. Everybody started giving him dollar bills. I asked him if his dollars were still in his pocket. He said no, he gave them all during the offering time in Sunday school so that Markson and Gracie, those are two of the kids that our children's ministry supported, so that they could have the same things he does. I'm not sharing this with you to say, hey, look at my kid even though he makes us so proud, but instead to share, to, but instead I share to say thank you. You and the staff are impacting his life and his relationship with Christ in so many ways. I feel that God was at work in Colton's heart today. My five-year-old actively participated in adult worship 
and then gave every dollar he had in his pocket to Jesus. So thank you for all you do to serve the Lord and our family looks forward to continuing to serve along with you. P.S. He also asked me if God wanted us to continue to give until we were poor. He was doing a lot of reflection and soul searching today. What if we were all in like five-year-old Colton? What if there were, that was our whole attitude. And I know there are people in this room right now who are totally sold out to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And they would tell you when they finally went over the edge and declared everything to be God's, that's when true life really started. But there are also people who unfortunately try to live with one foot towards the lordship of Jesus Christ and the other foot going towards their own direction. And that's a miserable, miserable way to live. You don't really find joy there. But they're afraid to follow Jesus and be all in. Maybe not necessarily in the area of giving. Maybe it's in in another area of their life because they're afraid of the cost. They think if I go all in, it's just going to cost me too much. And so are there many, many people, believers, who spend their life on the fence and there's no more miserable place to be. At the end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about money again. This time, he gives us kind of a short parable with a lengthy explanation. I want you to listen to Jesus' teaching here as Henry makes his way to the stage. He's going to read it for us. The context of Jesus' teaching here is on Judgment Day. When we will stand before God. Listen to these verses. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 45. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So here's what Jesus says. He says, look, when you give of your time, when you give of your money, your resources to someone who's in need, Jesus says, you're actually giving it to me. 
literally showing love to Jesus by showing love to the people around us who are in need. He mentions the hungry, and depending on your research, about one out of every seven people in the world don't have enough food to eat. One out of every seven. About nine million people die every year from hunger-related problems. He mentions the thirsty. Imagine walking for hours just to get water for your family. And I've witnessed this in the Dominican Republic and Haiti and Thailand. And when they finally get their water, it's usually filled with parasites, bacteria. That's a reality for about 1.2 billion people on our planet. It mentions those who are in need, those who are sick, those who are in prison. Richard Stern suggests that we imagine waking every, up every morning and reading that 100 jetliners crashed yesterday, killing 26,000 people. He said, imagine the grief and the outrage we would feel. Imagine the outpouring of the money, volunteers that would follow such a catastrophe. Imagine the intensity in which our governments and agency would do everything in their power to stop what was happening. But then imagine, he says, that it happened again tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that. He says the fact is that it happens every day. Some 26,000 plus children every day die from preventable causes related to poverty. Ouch. And I think most of us understand that reality and we feel for that and we're well-intentioned for that and reaching out and we want to give, we want to be generous, we want to make a difference. I think a lot of times we're just not really sure where to begin and so it ends up we don't begin. Richard Stern paraphrases the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. This is crazy. It brings some clarity for us to look at our lives in contrast to what Jesus said. For I was hungry, but you went out to eat again. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger, and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, and you pointed out the behaviors that led me to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. As we study the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 25, there's something that's interesting. He doesn't just motivate our generosity of our heart by saying, if you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. He flips it. He flips it. And I think these are even stronger words, that if you don't do it for me, one of the least of these, you don't do it for Jesus. Not if you do it, but even if you don't do it, you're not doing it for Jesus. So what can we do? What can we do? Look, this is the church. You and I are the church. We are the body of Christ. And when we come together as a church, there is power in that when the Holy Spirit is in the midst. And there's nothing that the church can't do to share the love of Jesus Christ with the world. 
we can make a difference if we continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I love the way Jesus says, he says, whenever you did it for one of these, how many? One. One. (laughs) He's not talking about 3,000. He's not talking about 10. One. If you just do it for one, we may not be able to help everyone in Medina County. We may not be able to help everyone in Medina or Brunswick or the surrounding areas close to us. But we as a church, when we come together and we truly give our hearts and we truly serve, it's amazing what God can do for one, one. And I love being part of a church that is committed to this. That's the beauty of the church, that we come together, we show the love of Christ to the world around us, and then we watch God's spirit move. We are soon to start a once a month food pantry here at this facility where those who are hungry, those who are thirsty can come and free. No questions asked. We're going to give them food right here in front of this building. That cool? This summer in the month of July, we're going to be having what's called Homeroom Hope. If you've never been a part of Homeroom Hope, what it is is we're going to be at this facility. We're going to have over 200 kids invited here to get free backpacks, school supplies. They'll get uh, eye exams, dental exam. They'll get their spine examined, uh, even a free haircut if they want it, and a free meal with their families. That's going to happen right here. You can start saving it now because we're going to take some sacrifice on our part because we're doing it here at Northside Medina. So start saving backpacks, start saving school supplies. It's all about reaching out in the name of Jesus to those we don't know with the love of Jesus. That's what the church is about. And when we show up and give extravagantly. When we sacrifice, we give generously to the people in the world around us. I can't wait to see the hearts that God changes when we fully continue to allow him to, us to be his hands and his feet in this world that he died for. Father, we thank you so much. God, we praise you for who you are. And God, that we can be a part of loving this world, loving this world and pointing them to you, the one that died on their behalf. God, I pray for our hearts and our generosity. God, that we understand fully that everything is yours, everything, and we get the privilege of giving it back, whether that's financially, God, whether that's uh, through service, and sacrifice on our part, whatever it is, God, we open ourselves up as your church, your people, to be your hands and feet. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Today, we're going to pass baskets for our offering as part of our worship service, um, because that's what offering is, it's worship. Um, And whether you give here usually or online uh, we're all giving back to a God who's graciously given us so very much and he asks us to do it with joy so let's reflect on that today as we uh, worship as we give
Um, the baskets are on your right, all the way at the end. You could pass them down the aisle to the left, across the aisleway, and uh, that would be great. Just stand uh, with us to worship when you're done. be magnified within our life through things like offering. So when we give, it's actually an act of worship to Him. So church, here at Norris, I just want to thank you for your intentional generosity. Thank you for being a part of this kingdom work. We just pray that every single dollar that was given today just goes to his glory, to his kingdom. It's the idea everything is reciprocated back to him, our worship, our finances, our time. And so in this bridge, we just want to say that we won't bow down to anything in this world. 
We won't even bow down to this idea of money being our own. We just want to stand strong and stand firm in the fact that He is King, He rules all, and everything belongs to Him. I won't bow to idols. I stand strong and worship You. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because You're lifted. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. The cross brings
hope that you feel blessed. We hope that you feel on fire to go out and do God's work, whether that be through, again, time or finances, whatever that looks like for you this week. Let's go out with a fire. Remember to see Brad, tell you, or tell, I don't know, tell the church why you're so thankful for the church in one word. So think about that. He'll be in the back left of this building, I guess my left. But we hope you have a great week, Northside. We're so excited to see you next week. We'll be praying for you. Just go out with a fire. Have a great week.
Praise God. 